Once you're reacting from a place of threat, it's almost impossible to connect to people. Getting Discomfortable with Nathan Vanderpool. Today's guest has a background in psychology, in uh, cultural and religious studies, and he did his PhD in sociology. He's also the author of the Social Arts Handbook, and he's someone that I recently had a really fascinating experience with that he calls trauma mapping. Nathan, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, AJ. So I'd love to give my audience a kind of play-by-play of what the experience of trauma mapping was like. But I'd like to start off by getting a sense of, like, what is it and how did the idea come about for you? For me, trauma mapping is a practice that I developed out of a lot of research, looking at how, how I make sense of what's happening around me and sometimes uh, distort it in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Why do I do that? Uh, why is it not always clear what's happening. I wanted to use different methods that I found, kind of put them together in what seemed like the most supercharged effective way to get at the things that are making our sense-making distort. Um, One main branch of that is uh, old emotional content, old old things that we haven't really felt through or processed. Ways that we, and certain people would call it, Byron Katie calls it uh, in the work, she calls it false beliefs. Um, other people refer to it in other ways, but it's certain cognitive frameworks that we develop over time that seem real when we have them, and especially when we're young, can remain and become invisible and be the thing through which we make sense. And our emotions can be actually reactions to that and not to what mm-hmm. we, would, we would think if we were to be able to calmly reflect on what's happening around us right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, I really relate to that. And the kind of language that I've been using around it is, I call it like my childhood or cultural conditioning. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. So these are, um, I mean, there's the cultural conditioning, which comes from the outside um, in terms of social norms and other beliefs that people around us have that we adopt. Um, and there's also just the individual ways that we make sense of what's happening around us. So mm-hmm. if um, maybe if a parent uh, isn't available, um, we make sense of it as like, I have to accept that I'll be alone. Um, and that might not be true. <laughs> it might have yeah. been true in the moment, um, but we don't have the perspective or the tools as a child often to make sense of it as we would as an adult. If somebody just wasn't available, we might say, well... I'm going to find someone else who's available or this isn't uh I'm going to speak up for myself and try to change the situation. Mhm. Mhm. And and what's coming online for me is that it's not just a belief, it can be it can be like a whole strategy, a whole defensive pattern. It it's almost like a a package of reality in fact. Like it's it's associations, images, feelings, uh, like a whole construct. Does that feel true to you? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a way of thinking about beliefs as though they were just this like, you know, cognitive propositional thing. Mm -hmm. And um, what I mean is more related to like a deep way of making sense. Like the world is like this. I am like this. Others are like this. And the world is like this sort of all as a package. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, in my shame 
journey have come up against many of these packages. And a lot of them are triggers for deep shame. Like you said, oh, I have to be alone. Like these these kind of constructs and strategies from my childhood, which, you know, I like to, I don't know if this is literally true, but it sort of feels good to me to honor that when I came up with these as, as a child, they maybe were true or they maybe were the best strategy or the, the best way to view things in order for me to cope at that time. But then my brain, you know, solidified, crystallized in my 20s. And I got stuck with that that strategy, that view, that that little reality package. And as an adult, it's just like outdated. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're right on the money there. Like what happens is essentially we make sense. It's, it's very plausible. And this is the most pernicious thing about it. Um, when we learn these things, they're not just like grossly untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem very much a f- reflection of what is real. Um, and in that developing stage, we're, we're just trying to understand what's going on and we're slowly developing this felt sense of what reality is. Um, and that can be so hard to unlearn later. Um, not mm-hmm. because we have to find or we have to see that that's not true, but then it still feels as though it's true. Um, and that's exactly. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's the frustrating part in my journey is that it seems to me like my prefrontal cortex, you know, like the rational wise part of my brain that feels very much like me is way ahead of wherever these old packages are stored. So I start to see like, oh, shame actually is about this and this is what's true and I'm this and and all these really empowering, mature, modern ways of thinking. And then my old brain is like the Titanic and it is turning so slowly, if at all. (laughs) And it has in its hull all of these old beliefs and associations stored, you know, I don't know, in my limbic system or in my body even, hmm. that just are so stubborn. And that's so frustrating to have my brain be in two places at once, in the in the future and in the past. Absolutely. And so these things come online as essentially, as you were saying, there are sort of coping mechanisms that we develop, but it's, it's in response to what is indistinguishable from a threat. Hmm. The essential way that I would make sense of it is something in the realm of like um, Doug Tatarian's uh, bioemotive, um, where I'll use a little bit different language than he uses, but what I like to talk about is there's a sense of us. So a sense of us, like, let's say that I am uh, walking along and I see a group of people and I know one or two of them and I walk up and my brain is always making sense of what's happening around me, making sense of the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think... Ah, uh, these people are kind of excluding me. I'm not, I don't belong here. They don't want me around. And that's just the sense that I'm making could be true, could be not true, mm-hmm. but I'm making sense of it that way. And, um, so in some kind of calm, ideal, utopic world where I'm completely trauma free, I might just at this, if that happened to me, uh, which actually that did happen to me the other day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. when that when that happened, if I were completely trauma-free, I might just keep on walking or say, actually, I don't really care if this specific group of people uh, values me or wants me to be here. Um, and instead, what happened was that I got triggered 
So some this sense of us triggered a sense of self. Like it triggered a sense that like I don't belong anywhere. So I'm not worthy of the attention and the affection of the group, and there is no group for me. I have to come to terms with that. Um, and that was not a reaction to what was happening around me, but it felt very much like what was happening all around me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's only through like reflecting and going deep into where did I learn this? Where did I pick up this way of making sense that I start to see in my teenage years, in my childhood, in my relationship with my parents, like all of these different places that this kind of sense-making began, and now it comes up. It's sort of like, I mean, the trigger is actually kind of an interesting word for it because it's like triggering a, uh, like, 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 you know, triggering a, a trap or something. You, you, you run into the string and then all of a sudden, whoo, this thing swings down and it's huge and it's there, but it's like, this isn't, um, what was happening around you before that. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. This is not, I'm not reacting to the situation anymore. I'm, I'm reacting to, the situations that I had experienced before, the sense I made of how the world is, how I am, how others are, and how the world is before, and now it's coming back up. Mm-hmm. It's like that that package, that reality package from the past has hijacked present moment reality, <laughs> and you're right. suddenly like living in this hybrid. That's right. That's totally right. And that's why I feel like um, some of the most effective things that I've found to combat this are certain types of meditation and which which bring you into present moment and teach mm-hmm. you to like to distinguish between the present moment and a story between your current experience and a story uh and then also this kind of um this version of cleaning up the past sort of going through becoming a historian of yourself understanding what was it that i learned the world is like what was it that i learned i had to deal with uh how did I learn to cope with the different things that I couldn't handle when they happened? Um, and all of that informs um, the ability to stay present with what's here now, including with what's coming up from the past, which is also something that can be sort of paradoxically present right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, this might be like a slight aside, but it, I, I feel called to investigate it. I'm imagining, and tell me if this is true, that when you go up to this group of people, you know, we do have this expectation as a social animal, like, I belong, I can belong. And then you go up to these people, something trips your perceptions that you don't belong here. And I'm imagining that shame might have come up first as like an unpleasant emotion. And then perhaps like connected to shame, the feeling is when that reality package sort of took over that said, actually, I don't belong anywhere. I wonder if you had a sense of like, did some shame come up in that moment? Absolutely. So, uh, I'm 42 years old, <laughs> not, not old, but, uh, get older than this group of like people in their early twenties who are doing acro yoga. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I like even to do acro yoga, but when I, um, when I walked up, I just had this feeling and it may have been a projection, but it was a feeling mm-hmm. like, Oh, this, this isn't my group of people. I don't belong here. I don't fit. Um, and it was, yeah, like a sense that like, I mean, if I would trace it to like a body activation space, it would be like a kind of terror in the base of my belly. Um, Mm -hmm. just fear Mm -hmm. of like, uh, I don't belong anywhere, 
Um, but, but the fear was just something I felt and it just felt, it felt uncomfortable. Um, and then it, and then, and I didn't, I, I think all of that for me, all of that for me happens in a space where I'm not really reflecting on it yet. Yes. I'm already activated in my body. I already feel very uncomfortable. Um, and then only when I walked away, came to my house, sat in my room and cried deeply for about a half an hour, did I finally kind of, the images started coming up where this came from and everything. And then I started to make sense of, ah, okay. So uh, what, because if I, in that moment, if I'm standing there with this group of people, I don't actually care that much if I fit in. Um, and that's what can be so disorienting because I, I, if I would to, we're only reacting to what's happening around me. Um, and I, to be very fair to the people around me, they weren't doing anything bad. They just didn't, it, I had the feeling that they weren't talking to me. So it may have been pure projection and they may have been just interested in other things. Um, but when I, when I would take just what that experience would be and, and even assuming that it was all completely accurately read, they didn't want to talk to me. I didn't belong in this particular group of humans at this moment. Uh, I don't actually care that much. And so it's very disorienting to feel so anxious suddenly mm -hmm. and to need, mm -hmm. need to get out of there. And the feeling like, ah, I'm, I'm like, my, my chest is just like almost, uh, exploding with, with, and when my, my stomach, I feel like almost a little bit, almost nauseous mm -hmm, and I'm, mm -hmm. and I'm just like, why, why do I feel this? Uh, and so it's very difficult because it takes some amount of reflection to get back into a grounded space where I can understand. Yeah. That it's not, it wasn't actually about these people. It was about the sense of what's happening to me in this social space, bringing up deep memories. So deep shame, deep, uh, a deep sense of threat of not belonging, threat of being alone, you know, threat, mm -hmm, threat mm -hmm. of, yeah, having no one who is there to care for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and that, like, kind of reminds me again of that sort of, like, split between the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system or the body in the sense of, like, your prefrontal cortex can see, you know, this isn't going to really affect my whole life if... <laughs> I'm not part of this cool acro yoga group, but to our limbic system, which is still kind of like the way I look at it, thinks we're a hunter gatherer where every connection is important. It It's sort of like in the present moment, I think there is some potential for like present moment shame. It's like, hey, please fit in <laughs> everywhere. But then as, as like Donald Nathanson points out in his book, Shame and Pride, like any, any moment of shame will connect to every moment of shame. So it's like, then it gets amplified by connecting to all those deep shame moments from the past of actually experiencing ourselves as, as left out or forgotten or neglected or whatever, whatever it is for, for you. And that's when it starts to become like beyond just the present moment. Does that sort of fit for you as well? Oh yeah, actually. Um, so I think that's a very astute um, observation that in that moment, I also felt a bit of shame, a bit of like, I don't belong here. I'm making sense of it that way. And then the force for me often comes from this more historical thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Because I'm, um, I'm, I'm, 
I need people. I'm a human. <laughs> I need connection yeah. and love and care. Yeah. And uh, that that's clear. So in a situation in which I'm not getting it, I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I'm going to feel um, that this isn't where I want to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Our body has to give us that, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's the safest response if you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is a battle with the prefrontal cortex that says like, well, what do I care? Yeah. Like why, why do I, why, why should I even bother to try to fit in here? Um, if I don't fit in here, I'll just go over there, um, play some music, do something else that's uh, entertaining to me. Uh, or uh, these people don't know who I am yet. And maybe I should start to talk to them, get to know them, warm up the crowd and, uh, and find a way in would be another response that I could have had. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, with all of this activation that comes from these previous experiences, it's almost impossible at that point to come back, I, um, to, to be back in the present moment with the small mm-hmm. amount of shame that might be present when I think, oh, these people haven't connected to me or might not want me here. Um, coming back to that and, and managing and dealing with that is impossible because I have this huge wave <laughs> just overtake me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like sort of wash me out to sea. And then and there's no hope uh, in that moment for me to come back. I, I need some time, mm-hmm. some real time and probably some tension release and some reflection uh, if I'm going to hope to to circle back around to grounded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially, as I understand it, the blood has left your prefrontal cortex <laughs> and it has gone into your limbic system. And, it, and particularly, it sounds to me like it's gone into your amygdala and you've gone into uh, some version of fight or flight almost even so your your whole brain chemistry is is kind of changed such that you can you're seeing things through your emotional brain and your strategies are completely patterned from your lizard brain like most basic survival instincts i'm imagining does that feel true yeah i think so and the really difficult part about that is is once you're that far out, once you're really in a deep trauma response or a deep trigger, um, I mean, I want to be careful when I say trauma response. I know there are various levels of trauma, but when I say, mm-hmm. let's just say, once you're reacting from a place of threat, um, it's almost impossible to connect to people. So yeah. the thing that you're being threatened by becomes absolutely impossible to attain like you you're threatened by a lack of belonging or by being excluded by being cast out of the group so um your body wants to come back in but your your social skills your creativity shuts down everything that you might actually need in that moment is kind of gone Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so um this is the one of the dilemmas that we face when we're when we're when we feel shame in a moment is like Actually, the feeling of shame can take away all of my tools to do the thing that would make me feel like I'm included, I'm the right way, mm-hmm. I'm here in the mm-hmm. place that I belong. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. It, it's shame so often like taps into that threat space and that threat space has like just a handful of options. That that's all the amygdala knows. Yeah. And none of them are authentic connections. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like yeah. at best it's like maybe sycophantic people pleasing pandering yeah. kind of thing yeah i can fawn over everyone uh but that doesn't help me win any friends no 
it might, yeah, it, it, basically that's the thing. If I, if I think that I'm under threat, I can't, I'm, I'm, uh, I can't connect. And that's, uh, I can't connect as myself. Exactly as you're saying, there's no more room for authentic connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know myself in that moment. I need, I need to come down. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like the word that I usually use to describe it is just being ungrounded. Yeah. Um, I, I disconnect from who I am. I feel dissociated. I'm not in touch with my feelings. I can't, uh, assess what's happening in the situation correctly. So I can't react as I would to what's actually happening because I'm, yeah. Um, in that moment, for example, I'm, I feel incredibly anxious and as though everyone here wants me to leave. Um, and I, I'm not reading the situation as it really is. And so I can't mm -hmm. take any appropriate actions in the situation. Um, in fact, like it's probably the best idea in that moment for me to, for, to actually just leave because if I try to interact while I'm ungrounded, I'm just going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In my mm -hmm. experience, like the best thing that I can do when I say I'm uh, with one of my friends or with my partner and I, and I, when we start to fight, the best thing that I can do is to stop and take a walk. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's just, I need that space to come down from where, from a triggered point of view, I'm never going to have a productive conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. The, the the other strategy that comes up for me is like again, if it's a friend, if it's if it's a if it's appropriate in my estimation, and I notice it, like if I can actually, it's it's hard to even notice that I'm in this state because it's such a it's such a riptide that it's like it's sucking me into kind of action, protective action before I even know it. But if I do notice it. I find that transparency can help where I'm like, oh, 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 I'm triggered. I'm triggered right now. <laughs> and then the only thing I can do after that is just explore the trigger. Like that's the, that's the only thing like, yeah, I can withdraw, which is great. Buy some time, come down. Or I can just be like, this is what it feels like. And this is what it feels like. And this is what it feels like. And now it's going away. That, but that's about it. Yeah. That's a really interesting point because there's, there is almost, um, well, it's a, it's a skill that you can develop that where you're able to stay present with, but stay present. I mean, this is where meditation for me comes in Yeah, that you can stay present, but disidentify, you can feel all of the feelings, but not be driven by them. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about it. You can take it as an object and say, I am in this state. This is what's happening in my body. Um, and then really make it, make, make the conversation about that rather than the conversation flows from that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's sort of like when I do my shame coaching, the crux of it is about getting comfortable with discomfort. Obviously, like the title of this podcast, Discomfortable. And it, it and that essentially is what you're describing. Like being in a state where I have enough practice that I can disidentify from my my unpleasant emotions and witness them from a place of acceptance. Because I think a lot of us um, reject shame is kind of like, I think, the go-to action for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But the thing about my approach is that I'm sort of, it's it's kind of like I'm I'm allowing these old triggers to kind of flow through me, and there's a lot of utility to that. I can, you know, I can manage it in the moment. But what's interesting about your work is that there's a promise of going deeper than that. 
So it's like, yeah, I, I've got strategies that will get you through shame in the moment. But it, then it's like, how do we go to the source so that we're working with that ancient shame in and of itself? And that's where like trauma mapping and these ideas come from. What what's the strategy? I want to I want to start to get into the strategy of looking at and transforming these old packages of reality, this this childhood or cultural conditioning, rather than just trying to manage them. Like, how do we begin to actually crack them open mm. and maybe transform them? There's a certain way of looking at the brain that would talk about uh, coherence. So this is in a relatively new psychological theory, um, but increasingly being accepted that basically we, we, we make sense of what's happening around us. We have these certain schema, these packages that we use to make sense of it. Uh, and they are established and there and sort of solid. That's the way that we will, given a certain stimulus, we'll make sense of it in this way. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the opportunity if we can, sort of get ourselves into a different state than our rational reflected, I'm thinking and analyzing what's happening in this moment right now, but get ourselves into more of an, of an open focus that we can sort of just be more imagistic, more letting things come up, a bit more mindful in the end. Like mindfulness mm. meditation is very helpful for this practice. Um, if we can just sort of take a step back and look at it, then um, these packages, these schema can be opened up. Um, when, you, when you go into the emotional activation, when it's actually at, like alive for you right now, um, it's open. Mm. So you've had, uh, let's say, the experience of a threat of being uh, abandoned. And you're, and you're now an adult, and you have this schema, this package in your mind that like there's a danger if uh, if things get a little bit chaotic, as they did when I was a child, you don't see that. But if things, if this, let's say that we could make it all explicit. Mm-hmm. If things get a little bit chaotic right now, uh, I might end up being abandoned by the people who care about me. So when I am feeling that, when something got a little bit chaotic in a relationship and I'm feeling this like fear, I will be abandoned. Uh, at that moment that package that schema is is activated and is in a sense open it's trying to like it's making sense of what's happening around us because it's protecting us like it's mm-hmm, saying mm-hmm. watch out there's a snake over there and while i'm seeing the snake over there uh i actually can learn that it's a rope yeah Unt- until it's activated <laughs> Uh, in some sense, it'll just be there dormant in my brain as a way of making sense of a situation that's not happening right now. And I could think right past it and be like, of course, I know that ropes are not snakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I encounter this rope, but I see it as a snake, that's the moment when I can actually, while I'm feeling all that feeling, all that fear, that's when I can encounter it and say, and learn something new about it. Mm-hmm. Your your prefrontal cortex is easily able to say, okay, it's a rope. I know it. I get it. It's a rope. But in terms of that deep sense of like reality package, expectation, like conditioning, whatever you want to call it, we have to actually let that program be running before it can be anything other than what it is. Is that right? That's right. So I want to emphasize that I don't think this is the only way 
that a person could approach trying to heal things. Okay. Um, but this is definitely a way. So coherence theory would say that if I can just have other experiences, my brain will forcibly try to combine that with what I already know. Mm. So if I think like, AJ is a total jerk, <laughs> that's my conception of you. <laughs> and then I, I have a conversation where I'm like, that was just lovely. He's actually a sweetheart. My brain can't handle the contradiction. So I'll have to form a more subtle view of you or replace my previous view with this new view. Mm. Um, and so in that sense, you could just have a lot of experiences where you're relating in a stable way to a group who cares about you. And this could go a long way or maybe even all the way to healing this trauma or this threat response. Mm -hmm. For some people, uh, that happens and that's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's like relational psychotherapy, I think, as I understand it. Mm -hmm, yeah. And, and, uh, and for other people, there's another way to approach it, which is to say, let's, let's actively intentionally look mm. and try to see mm -hmm. what's there and see if we can bring, uh, bring that into the object of the free control prefrontal cortex, very similar to how I can bring that trigger into the object of conversation. I can bring that trigger into the object of conversation with myself. I can look at this package of real this reality package while it's open and I can bring something else into it. Mm. You know, it seems like when I get triggered, these these old patterns open up and I just reenact them is what I do. I just run the program again exactly as I did as a child. And it seems like the invitation here is to try something different. Hmm. to to be in some kind of like healing space or open space or self-aware space or with a helping professional like yourself where we have the kind of guidance and impetus and safety to just try something else in that space rather than just reenacting the same, like kind of reinforcing the same thing over and over again. Does that feel true? I think that what you said there that stood out to me that's exactly on the on the nose what it is is the sense of safety experiencing that trigger within a safe space um mm. and i mean that might i use that word to mean a sense like relationally when you're talking to me and we're doing trauma mapping i'm trying to make sure that you feel connected to me and safe and that like it's clear that i'm here i accept you uh i care about you and there's no reason that this threat needs to be taken seriously as a real thing that's happening right now. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And when you have that contradiction in your brain, uh, you'll need to make sense of it. Like, so it does offer this opportunity while it's wide open emotionally to say, oh, that's not a real threat. That's not a real snake. That's a rope. Mm. And then as you make sense of that in that moment, you're already developing this new way of looking, this new way of sense-making. Mm -hmm. So just the sheer context is already shifting the way that this trigger is going to open up and be run because it's just incongruous with the way it usually comes up, which is like a real-world kind of threat-like association. Whereas you're, you're saying like, hey, let's, let's go in here together in, consciously. Mm. Yeah, and let's look at what it is 
outside of the feeling that there's something that I need to do about it right now. Uh, I think this is also very important to not feel like you have to solve anything mm. and not feel like you have to, to change or react or you just look at it. Um, and that's the thing too, the where if you're in a social situation and one of these triggers comes up, there's so much more to manage mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. than if we're just sitting in a circle or you and I talking privately in a session. Um, the only thing that you have to do is to pay attention to how you feel right now and where it is in your body, what images are coming up, uh, what kinds of stories do you find coming into your mind? Um, all of these things that can only happen in that kind of like set space that we've set aside. That's not an actual social situation in which you're getting triggered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cause then there's all these other, yeah, like there's shame coming up about like, don't be triggered in front of people. And then there's shame coming up saying, don't feel shame in front of other people. And like, you got to hide all of this. And like, yeah, I, I completely get it. Yeah. Yeah. And the ultimately what you want is just to feel like I am safe to feel these feelings. I'm safe to look at everything. And um, that's what's going to really allow you to bring these what can be kind of dark forces out into the light to bring these assumptions, these like invisible packages that you're through which you're making sense um, into the light of your consciousness. So you can look at them and put them into words and, and sort of integrate in that sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So maybe we could go through the process as it happened with me. I don't think I want to reveal all the details of what I was working with in terms of like the actual content, but I'd love to take the listeners kind of experientially through it with your guidance as to like what we were what we were doing. Does that does that feel interesting to you? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So why don't you just give us a little sense of like where you where you wanted to start off with me? Sometimes people will come with a specific trigger or like thing that keeps on happening in their lives. And that's something that we can definitely work with. Um, other times it'll be a little more subtle. Sometimes, I mean, when I was doing this with you and when I do it with other people who, I mean, when I was trauma mapping with you and with other people who are um, emotionally articulate and and can can sit with discomfort um, already, uh, somewhat, uh, and, and to varying degrees to you, you're, you're in the, on the high end of, I can sit with something very uncomfortable and that's the best place to do this kind of practice in. Mm. Um, as you're probably aware, there's also like sometimes a sort of a pre-layer that I have to go through with someone, which is that it may feel unsafe to feel through their emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that mm -hmm. feeling emotion itself becomes a kind of trigger, um, that initiates a fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I have a, a sort of four main categories. I think those things fall into, like somebody might think I'll end up alone because I mean, and then fill in the blank. People will think I'm a burden. People won't be able to handle what I say. I'll have to be vulnerable and I have to hide from everyone after that. Um, maybe it's unsafe to feel your emotions because no one will care because mm. you don't matter or feelings don't matter. There are certain worldviews that are very popular that fall into like that, like sort of promote that way of thinking about it. Uh, you might think that it's unsafe to feel your emotions because you're, you're, you are or will be a bad person 
You care about the mm-hmm. wrong things. It's not appropriate to your social role. You don't see things the right way and you're irrational. Um, or the, the other very common one is that, uh, it's not safe because you can't handle it. Like it's just going to be too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might do something impulsive and then regret it, or, you know, you won't be able to reach your goals. Um, if you feel, stop and feel your feelings. Uh, all of that is untrue, <laughs> but it's so pervasive in our culture that it creates this first sort of, uh, sort of like barrier that people, some people have to get through. If you've gotten through that and you can say, okay, I see that I have emotions. I see that they're important. And I see that learning to sit with uncomfortable emotions has, is, is a practice and something that I've taken seriously and see the value in. Um, then you can start to do trauma mapping. Mm. So we've got like somebody who has some practice with sitting with very uncomfortable feelings. Um, and what I would, do is to say like we're going to start with your uh, something that's an, a situation in which you felt ungrounded something where you thought looking back you're like why did i react that way why did i feel that way um in that sense that like we were talking about something where i i look at the situation later and i say i was not reacting to the situation itself i start there because that's where it comes up. We can recognize, get a handle on it. Um, these things are very hard to find because they're invisible to your own sense-making. You don't see that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to kind of look for a situation in which that kind of thing, the symptoms are there. I look back later and I think, why did I act that way? Um, or I look and I say, oh, my reaction was completely out of proportion to the situation. Um, and it wasn't because I just misunderstood what was happening. Like, I, I don't understand why I acted that way. Mm-hmm. And that's where we can start. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like this professional situation in which something uncomfortable had happened. And yeah, I just had like a, a kind of really overwhelming shame reaction to it that 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 we quickly discovered was about so much more than just that um specific situation, which, which is, I guess, kind of the whole point. It's like, let's map this, this outsized trigger to where it's really coming from. Is that right? Yeah, totally. And so what I like to do, and what I find very effective is to instead of just staying with the thoughts, um, to drop really deeply into the body. So to start to describe all of the feelings that you're having in your body, um, how are you breathing? Um, where is there tension? What kinds of, um, essentially you want to get to the point or I'd, I like to try to get someone to the point where if this body state, you can think of it almost like, um, a person and that if you saw this, the, saw that person walk down the street, you would recognize, ah, that's, you know, this person, you want to recognize this body state in that same, to that same extent, you want to say like, Ah, so, you know, uh, my breathing is shallow and there's a tension in my chest and in my throat and it feels like I'm collapsing. Um, and it doesn't even matter so much that, I mean, I can kind of understand what that body state might feel like, but what really matters is that you become deeply familiar with all of the different parts of your body, how it feels right now, and sort of tune into that because that's where we're going to that's where we're going to get the information that we need mm-hmm. from the things that you're thinking about it and the ways that you're analyzing it. 
uh, we're not going to get to the right place. That's going to keep us more present tense and more prefrontal cortex. And we really want to go into the limbic system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's sort of like leaning in to the emotional side, like embodying it. Um, yeah, you know, because it's you talked about earlier, some people don't want to go into their emotions because it, it feels dangerous. And that's definitely where I used to be. It was like, you don't lean in <laughs> to uncomfortable <laughs> emotions. That's like leaning into putting your hand on a hot stove. So that's that's definitely been like a journey that I've gone on. And and for the listeners, if you listen to the episode I did about crying, it talks all about Douglas Tatarin's um, bioemotive workshop, which which is related to this. So that sort of like leads me up to this point. But but through that experience, I've learned that there's incredible utility to leaning into an emotion, even sometimes leaning into a disempowering thought to get into the emotion, as long as I do it in a kind of like safe, conscious, I am going to explore this and heal this way, rather than like, I'm going to believe this. So that's sort of like what I think I was doing in that moment. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, definitely. And that's where the safety really comes in this learning to feel what's in the body. Because that's like before a story, there's, uh, there's just the body feeling. Yeah. And, and so you don't, you, there's no need to believe or disbelieve. It's there. This, this is my experience right now. And then if you can create just this gap between, I can feel the experience of this body state, um, and create a gap between that and the story that I have as to what's going on with it. That's where we really can like sort of find out what else is this? Like, where mm-hmm. did this, where did it come from? Mm-hmm. That's so alive for me because in affect theory, they they actually think of an emotion as this package of a combination of just the physical feeling, which they call an affect, and then the cognitive component, which is like these old beliefs and stories that we used to explain this feeling as a child that kind of got hardwired together. So it sort of seems like the, the one of the interesting things about this process is that you can deconstruct that package a little bit and be like, okay, so there's this feeling, but does it really mean what all these years I've been saying it means? Does this does this unpleasant feeling of shame really mean I'm bad or I'm alone or I'm worthless or whatever it is for the person? Does that sound right? Absolutely, yeah. And um, I mean, it's important to say that sometimes you have a negative feeling because bad things are happening. And in fact, yeah. you almost always have, as you were saying, sort of, it's almost always even, a, well, let's say this, it's always a reaction to the situation that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It just may be that part of that reaction is an expression of some part of me and what's important to me Um can't emerge here. I can't approach things in a certain way. I can't treat people in the way that's important to me. Um, and some part of it can be related to something that's not what's present. And that's where the trauma mapping actually comes in. Um, it's not really good for analyzing, is this the right friend group for me? But it is good at analyzing, <laughs> why don't I feel like I deserve a friend group? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 to your point about the like acro yoga incident, you know, shame is coming up there, pointing out something salient, which is like, oh, I'm I'm not sure about my belonging here, and belonging is important to me as a social animal. So shame's just like, okay, be aware of this, 
which is, yeah, that's like a useful message literally being triggered by the actual moment in time. But then the association that when I feel shame, it means I'm bad. That's the part of it that seems to be like, you know, the part that we want to break, that we want to look at that connection. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I usually go from this deep sense of activation in the body into starting the process of taking it as an object um, and like mapping back. What is this? Like, where is it? Um, often, most often because it is some sense of threat, my, in my experience, the most, most often it's, it is either experienced as anger or fear. It can be uh, mixed in with other things. And sometimes, um, sometimes, for example, sadness might be mixed in or disgust. Um, but the main feeling is often anger or fear, uh, in re- and it feels that because we're, we feel like we're in a situation of social threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to my way of thinking, shame is probably mixed in with that anger and fear, but it is sort of difficult for me sometimes to parse, like, what is shame? What is anger induced by shame? What is pure anger? And what is fear? And what is fear of shame? So I could see how that's all mixed together, but but I, I had to like, I can't help but think that if it's social fear, there's there's some shame involved probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess like for me, and I don't know if, you, I wonder, I'm curious if you would see this in a different way. For me, I would say that like the shame is in the story. Um, that like the actual body experience is only either anger or fear. Um, and then the shame comes like I don't belong my my let's say let's say like mo- a lot of the time um for me shame would be for my for my way of looking at it would be an experience of fear of not belonging but the if I just had access to the nervous system I could only really tell that there was fear and then mm-hmm. very quickly or maybe almost inherently in that fear my in my sense making of what's going on it's I don't belong um but the I don't belong isn't in my body. The fear is in my body. And the I don't belong is in my story, in this, in my way of looking at it. Yeah, I, I do look at it slightly differently. I, I, I look at shame as like an actual affect that would be in the body. And the interpretation of it would be, I, like, I think it, it's, we're talking about the same thing. And what I'm calling shame, you're calling fear in this case. Because it, in my conception through affect theory, when we have one of these reality packages, like an empowering reality package about ourselves, like I'm someone that people like, when that reality package is undermined in any way, our body produces shame, which switches us from pleasant feeling into unpleasant feeling. So I, I definitely see it as like this really distinct um, emotion that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't fit in it's just often interpreted that way. So I feel like it's, you know, like when you described the feelings you had in the Acra Yoga incident, you were like, oh, like a deep fear in my stomach. And I think you talked about like a pain in your chest. Mm. And for me, I interpret that feeling, like the nausea, Mm. I interpret that as shame. Like when I feel shame, it's often like this burning, this pain in my stomach, it feels, it feels sick. Yeah. So it might just be that like the word I use for a certain feeling, I call shame. You you call it something slightly different. And it doesn't really matter. 
to be yeah. honest. But that that is what it um that's how it is in my brain. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I think for me, um, and that's a good point. Like this this might actually fall for in my sort of uh my mental model would fall in like the fear plus disgust kind of uh body activation but uh yeah yeah, we can call it shame too (laughs) i mean it's another good word for it and i I think that it does point to exactly the same thing yeah and ultimately it's like we're just we're just like carving out words to describe a bodily sensation the words don't matter in the end you know like well what where's the line between shame or guilt or humiliation and embarrassment it's like well (laughs) it doesn't really it doesn't, there is no line. We're making this all up to describe something. So like, I get where you're coming from exactly. Yeah. Well, I would take this, um, once we've named what the sensation is in the body, the sense of activation, and we've given it some kind of emotional names. We could call it uh, fear and disgust. We could call it shame. Um, what I want to do then is to like switch to, and this is where I'm, I'm also building with bioemotive, um, switch to this, what I call the sense of us. Um, uh, interpersonal feelings is what bioemotive would call it, but I just call it a sense of us to give people, I like to simplify the language a little bit. Um, but it, what it's, what it is essentially like from, um, the bioemotive doesn't go so deep into this in, in a lot of their materials, but like for me, the way I frame it is it seems like you are blank me, ignoring me, uh, embarrassed by me, using me. Uh, rejecting me, uh, betraying me, whatever we want to say. It seems like you or the group is interacting with me in some way. And this is, for my way of thinking about it, the key to understanding what is the experience that's being repeated here. My brain is making sense of the situation. I mean, can also be a really nice thing. Um, the The group is honoring me, or I'm talking with AJ and he's exploring with me. Um, and that feels very good. Um, so I have like a sense of enjoyment in my body. Um, and if I feel like AJ is dismissing me, this would be another sense in my body. Uh, I would feel rejected. I'd feel like sort of maybe some of this shame and I'm, and that would then tie into I've felt this before, and when I felt it before, it felt existential on some level. I realized mm-hmm. this kind of threat that I'm feeling here by being rejected by a person in front of me uh, isn't just a a signal that either we don't fit or we should change the topic or whatever else I might gain from just that social interaction and that feeling in that social interaction, but like... I felt this before, and when I felt it before, it was dangerous, and I had to mm. develop a coping strategy to deal with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I was a helpless child, presumably. <laughs> That's probably it's, it's almost always the case that I didn't learn this recently. Um, that it's a repeated pattern that goes way, way back. So mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's back all the way to my teenage years. Sometimes it's back all the way to when I was a, a small child with my parents. And sometimes I've even had it in my own experience be back to uh, pre-verbal times as a baby mm, that I wow. actually sort of in in diving into this came to a point where 
the only way to really uh, be with myself in the experience was to have the, uh, this image came to me of me holding myself as a baby. Um, and it, yeah, it was, that was intense. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think, I think it goes all the way back and then often just keeps getting repeated because it's deep in our sense making. This is a thing that happens. This is the way the world is. Um, this is the way that other people and I interact and are mm-hmm. in relation to each other. Mm-hmm. And I have to protect myself against it. Yeah. Yeah. Danger, danger. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, when we were doing the trauma mapping, it, it, well, first of all, something that was amusing was that knowing that it was linked to bioemotive, I was like, you know, I haven't cried in front of every, anyone in quite a long time. It's like, I'm alone all the time because of the pandemic. So I was like, I, you know, Nathan, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cry. And then like, right away, I was crying about this like work issue. Yeah. And, and I basically just cried continuously for like an hour as we, you kind of guided me through these, these different um, steps and associations. Like we kept kind of connecting to new things from my past. And then as you kind of alluded to earlier, it's did, it's just naturally started to become very imagistic. Like Mm. it was just like the clearest way to describe it was to be like, it's a feeling and an, and an an image or a symbol almost like Mm. it just got, it got really, um, and I guess that was us like abstracting away from my prefrontal cortex and you were like, you know, guiding that. But I, looking back, was sort of like surprised by how almost daydream-like the mm. process just very naturally seemed to become. And and it sounds like that's intentional. Yeah, that's very much my uh, experience when taking people back here into these uh well, when I'm making a trauma map, it's um, it's not something that you can analyze and get to in that way. So as you said, like the prefrontal cortex has to kind of just drop. And the best way to speak the language of the limbic system, the language of these deeper sort of like body sensations is the same way that it, I mean, as you, I think it's very apt that you said it's like dreaming. Mm. You You sort of allow yourself almost to enter a sort of trance and a lucid dream. Um, yeah. Some experiences that I've had uh, that I'm, I'm not in any way an expert on hypnosis, but uh, I feel like this is a similar, there's a lot of similar similarity and overlap. Mm. The images that come up when we're dreaming are expressions of this same part of ourselves. So they're, they're not, uh, they're not expressions of what's happening around us. Um, and, and this is what can be very difficult when we're awake, we're still dreaming. Um, yeah. We never, we never stop. <laughs> yeah. So we have some inhibition on that dreaming that is checking against what's actually happening in front of me, but a lot of that sense making is still active and I mm-hmm. can put in all of this meaning and all of this, uh, threat response into something that is not threatening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this connects to, I think it's Anil Seth, who is this researcher that talks about how our reality is kind of a hallucination in which our brain is making all of these sort of guesses to mm. construct it. And as you noted, like, yeah, the guesses are based on sensory cues that are coming in, but the degree to which those cues are then 
formed into a reality package based on guesses and past associations is is a little bit startling and uncomfortable almost. And it it starts to raise the question of like, well, what's the difference between a reality package that's a dream, a reality package that's a fantasy, a reality package that is the past, a reality package that is the probable future, and a reality package that we consider the present? It's all very fascinatingly interconnected. I know that I, that's a that's a tangent, but I just wanted to say that. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I find it fascinating as well. And... Well, as another tangent, I make I've I've made a couple of pieces of art based on that idea. Um but I yeah, what I like to do is to sort of frame for myself and you you were familiar with bioemotive and almost sort of yourself started going through the what he calls the nine core feelings. Like I usually call the sense of self, but these um these axes upon which shame can live, if you will. Uh, inadequate, I'm inadequate, alone, insignificant, bad, mm-hmm. hopeless, helpless, lost, worthless, empty. Uh, and I, I usually, I, I don't go so much with bioemotive here. So in bioemotive, I would have you say all those things and check for the activation. I just have you follow the images and I, while holding the space, am like marking, okay, this is about, I feel insignificant and I feel bad. Or mm. I try to really like sort of hold that as a, as a heuristic so that I can ask you the right kinds of questions that can get you to open that space up. But I have to hold it rather loosely because sometimes, um, sometimes it will shift. Um, Mm -hmm. as you experienced Mm -hmm. when we were doing it, like we start in one place and we end up somewhere that you might not have thought. And like, I wouldn't have thought either. Uh, you know, an hour later we're, we're way over there and we didn't, we didn't know we were going there. And I, I had a, you know, I had sort of forgotten that you know the point of bioemotive is to sob at some point. So it was almost like this this like tour of tears through various <laughs> things. And but part of me feels like you know there were many places that I probably could have sobbed if I just stopped and kind of like went into it. Mm. But it seemed like ultimately we we landed at the perfect place. Like somehow we got to what was extraordinarily core to that you know we got to the like the center of the map Hmm. and it was like that was the moment that i suddenly remembered like oh right sobbing (laughs) and and so i did yeah so i mean it seems to me that like i am experiencing this as almost a hero's journey but you behind the scenes are kind of like guiding me and 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 just trying to find the core of it, like trying to get deeper, trying to get to the the real almost inciting incident, if you look at it as a story, like we're we're working backwards maybe. Is, is that right? Yeah. So when I'm holding that space, um, what I'm doing is it's a bit complicated and I've had to learn to do this, but holding my nervous system open to yours in mm. a way that, that allows me to to feel where you are, but not identify with it either (laughs) Mm -hmm, because that mm -hmm. can also be really you know then we can just both be crying about how how terrible that is (laughs) because it is it's these stories that come up are very they're very troubling and they're 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 the deep wounding of of the individual sitting across from you and it's it's almost invariably like a punch to the gut um when you hear like the pain Mm. Mm -hmm. i try though to 
to allow that other person's nervous system to kind of guide where do we go and when we're really there. So we could get there after 10, 20 minutes. Um, often I find it takes at least a half an hour and then sometimes an hour to keep going. Um, and I can't describe in better words than saying uh, the bottom falls out when that it's that, that realization like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this that's, it. <laughs> that's it. Oh, yeah. wow. And, um, and it, it, it was really, it was cool to go on that journey with you because I, I felt that we were about 75% of the way to where I would have said like, oh, this is it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And then it just kept opening up. And I was like, wow, that was, uh, that was a really powerful experience for me too, to, to, to be with somebody who's like, obviously, I think, let's say this, my, my hunch would be, had you not gotten so comfortable sitting with these difficult emotions, we would have stopped at one of those 75%. And that would have been the insight. Mm -hmm. But you'd had a lot of those insights. Mm -hmm. And you'd had a lot of, you felt through a lot of that stuff. And then eventually uh, we got deeper and deeper and deeper. And then we were somewhere at the depths where there's no map anymore in a way, like <laughs> where you didn't know where we were either. And then it's when that's, uh, well, there's a, a quote by uh, Theodore Adorno. He says, uh, true thoughts are the ones that don't understand themselves. And I think that like at some point we got to that truth where, you, where mm -hmm. it was just like, this is the core. This isn't something mm -hmm. I think about it anymore. This is like experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really was an experience. Like we got to, it wasn't even a memory as such. It was like, and it was very imagistic. It was like, I am a tiny child, like almost even like a fetus, like a ball of a child and and i was being crushed by this huge weight mm. and it was like panic like i actually like more so than any of the other spots it was like this actual desperation came online like i am literally being crushed and i can't breathe like i think i was saying that i was like i can't yeah. breathe and it was like this is it like this is the deep primal fear of death metaphorically connected to an issue, which is just fascinating that like, I'm in a metaphor in my child brain. Like it's, it's incredible to get there. <laughs> and then, and then this is what's so fascinating too. So then I finally sob. And, and it, this moment taught me so much about the difference between crying and sobbing. Cause like I cried for an hour and that felt nice. But it was when you get into that, it's like your body knows what a sob is. A sob is a program. It's like, it's like a deep, it's hard to describe, but it's almost like I am suddenly a machine and my body knows exactly what to do and it starts shaking and sobbing. And I, I picture this almost churning. It feels like there's like a, a, you know, like a windmill or something spinning inside me that's actually just like working through whatever this emotion, this image, this, this reality package, it's, it's, it's churning it like butter and processing it somehow. And it just, this, the, the act of sobbing is so healing and cathartic that the image, the reality package couldn't help 
but transform to match the feeling of deeply processing an emotion and finally letting it out, which I obviously had never done. And so it was like the metaphor had to change. It, the metaphor was changing before my very eyes through the, through the sobbing. You know, the, the, the package was open and it was running and I was able to just process it out in this sob. And the little child who was being crushed was suddenly a seed that burst open and like a plant came out of it and it shot out of the ground and the weight that was on top of it was now a tombstone that fell over. Hmm. <laughs> it's like, and my brain just furnished me with this. Like, th- this was just a, a, a lucid dream. And then the plant was me, uh, like a 40-year-old man who has just been reborn, like covered in viscera, kind of crawling out of a literal grave. And it was just this incredible achievement. And it, it, it like... It, the the closest I can come to ever having experienced something like this was when I did ayahuasca, which is a whole kind of other conversation about why psychedelic therapy is suddenly becoming such a, a popular topic, because mm. it's clear that there's a connection there. But But it was like my brain just like went into a healing mode and imagistically and metaphorically rewrote a whole package without my prefrontal cortex doing, without it lifting a finger, and I was suddenly reborn. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's for like my audience's uh, understanding of like how it ended, but I'm kind of curious, like how does that land for you as the facilitator, Nathan? Yeah, that's fantastic. One of the things that's so gratifying about doing this is to, to see when that process kicks in um, and like, this is the other side of it. Keeping that safe space open is that I know where this will go Mm. at some point, (laughs) at some point we'll hit the furthest down that you know how to go right now. Um, And, and for you, that was pretty deep. Um, And when you hit that, your body will process and you'll, you'll shake and you'll sob and you'll, all these images will come out and you'll heal. Mm-hmm. And from that, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's that faith in where this goes that I know this is, a, I know this path and I've been down mm-hmm. it a number of times and I know where it will, where we'll end up. Uh, to be honest, the first couple of times that I did this with myself first, sort of mad scientist wise, and then uh, starting <laughs> with other people, I, 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 there were moments where I got kind of scared. Like, what if I'm hurting mm-hmm. myself or someone else? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, and I've come to trust like that the person, like that your nervous system knows what you can handle and it'll take it as far as it can go. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'll kick into this healing mode and then suddenly, there's just release. There's the sobbing and then there's the release. And, uh, and it's there that oftentimes these kinds of therapeutic methods stop. And I think, th- I think that's a mistake. Yeah. And, th- and that's what I love about this. And, and I, I think I forgot to mention at the beginning that you are also a singer songwriter. And, and I think this is what's so brilliant. What comes next? <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> <laughs> like when I told my friends about it, I was like, "Yeah, 
And then he wrote a song about it and sang it to me. They were like, what? And so like, tell me about this final step. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So um, about, well, just a few years ago, um, a dear friend of mine, Ronja Polzin, introduced me to the wonder of mantra. Mm. And uh, initially I was, I, I'm sort of an, I'm not anti-woo, but uh, mm-hmm. at that point I would almost probably, you probably could have legitimately described me as anti-woo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've become less and less so as I've seen the power of a lot of these ideas. Um, mm-hmm. But at that point uh, I had never sung mantra before and I was making fun of her. <laughs> and then she took me to as a- As you do. As you do, you know, it's just- <laughs> When you're anti-woo. <laughs> And she took me to a Kundalini yoga class um, where she was singing mantras and doing Kundalini yoga. And and at the end of that, I was changed. And I thought, wow, mantra. Okay, so I get it now. I I get it that Mm -hmm. singing. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've been through this many times, by the way, with with various (laughs) modalities. Yeah, right. And I mean, I'm a musician. I, in some way, I should know uh, already, or I did know already that like singing opens up this, the nervous system singing. That's mm. why people listen to breakup albums. That's why people, you know, it just process emotion by listening to your favorite song. It, it moves you. Yeah. Uh, and that's because it goes straight in there, straight into the nervous system, into the limbic system. Your, your effect, your emotions are just, oh. so what I do once we have these new, this sort of like where we get the new body sensation. And I, I try to ask the person in a similar way to where we started, like map this, understand this, see wh- how does it feel in your body? Recognize that like you would a person walking down the street. And then you take this thing where we started that person. So the, the, the tension and the, the contraction and the threat, um, and just intuitively speak. So you start speaking some words. What would help you to see the way from there to here? Um, in some sense, to try to create this coherence problem slash solution <laughs> of having this threatening thing and this complete sense of release have to unify. Mm-hmm. So we had this this uh, this package is open. We've we've released all of the tension. We've seen that there's no threat, and now we want to like mark this specific package is no longer needed. Mm-hmm. We see like where it was and we see where we've come. And now we want to mark it with a song. And that song, uh, I just, yeah, I, I asked you to sort of just speak intuitively. Like, what would you say? What are these words? I don't know if you want to share the words or your, your song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will <laughs> share them. The words are, you did it. You're reborn. Enjoy being out of the grave. And I think there there were even like some variations when we were singing it, but that's what it coalesced into. And so that song for me, which is really like, it's like a celebratory song, reminds me of that incredible feeling that I had afterwards and is connected to that incredibly disempowering feeling that I started with. And it's like the song is a reminder like those are the same thing now. Like that disempowering thing is now this celebration. This, this like you're a champion. Like that's that's you did it. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. 
And and so we sung this song together, like for many minutes afterwards, which was amazing. And then you made a recording of it for me, and you asked me to sing it with some other people because uh, we had discussed like the power of empathy to really like also transform our brain. And I, the only people I see are this this bubble of two friends and their daughter. So I sang it with the whole family. And their two-year-old daughter kept being like, I did it. (laughs) That's so wonderful. This like, (laughs) you know, like she also was recently born. So we Mm. were able to bond. (laughs) Yes, we did it. We were born. (laughs) Me more recently than you even. Yeah. 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 And I think like what's so beautiful about that. And when we were singing it together, like I'm living in the truth of that in that moment. And so are you like, Mm -hmm. I'm singing it, uh, as a songwriter, I, I go and I perform and I always try to tune into like, what was real when I wrote this song. And at that moment, we just wrote that song. Uh, and it's, it was real and it was true. And it was like, AJ, you did it, you know? And Mm -hmm. I was like improvising sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you have to bleep that, but it's like, you did it motherfucker. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) wow, wow, look at that, you know? And um, yeah. and to like really have that truth uh, be a shared truth, I think is like, yeah. is vital. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, it is true. Like, it yeah. was like, I did do, it wasn't just that I like processed my trauma in this moment, which was also like a feat, but it was like, I survived the thing mm. that I thought was going to kill me at that young age. Like I survived it. Here I am. I did do it. Yes. So it's like, it's, it couldn't have been truer. That's right. That's very right. And when you sing it with people, other people that you care about, you're just establishing in sort of every person that you sing it with, every time you sing it, you're establishing it again. You're just repeating to this old package like, that's the past. This thread is over. The new truth is this. And, it, and it's really important that we went on that journey to get there. Because if I just said, oh, AJ... You did it. <laughs> you know, you got over that thing. You'd be like cognitively at the front of your head, yeah, that's right. And mm-hmm. nothing would change in terms of the the shame response and the deep feeling. Uh, but once we go through that, all of those images and down, 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 and we get to where we really see like this change. And then we talk about that. And I say, look, AJ, you did it. And then you're like, yeah. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, this is a very different uh, part of your sense making, processing what that means. It's not just mm-hmm. understanding it, it's deeply feeling that that's true. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I'm really seeing it now, like, you know, at that age, this very young child age, um, I wasn't sure, am I going to do this? Am I going to be able to survive this? Like, I don't know. I'm a tiny child. So like, I am imprinted with this deep fear and defensiveness. But now, like 40, 30 years later, whatever it is, I did do it. But I still have that crystallized uncertainty. So it's like, it's time. It's time that my limbic system, my body catch up with the truth, which is that we did it. Yeah, We did it. We're here. (laughs) So it's 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 just like so beautiful mm-hmm. and and I guess you know like also part of me wants to honor 
that for most of my life, I thought sobbing was a bad thing. So because of our culture uh, of discomfort around emotion, especially crying in front of people or ever, Mm. we are actively stymieing young people from getting over these things such that it has to become a whole process yeah. <laughs> in <Yeah>. our 40s <laughs> yeah. rather than like something that we are naturally nurturing throughout their life. So that's just something that I want to say for those of us like me who get uncomfortable when someone's crying and say like, oh, don't cry. It's, it's now an opportunity for me to remember, oh, yeah, do cry. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, cry. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, and I think like something else that I experience around that is because you have cried, you're you're able to hold that space. Um it's it's actually before you did that, not only were you stopping yourself, you would have been the person who stopped others. Mm-hmm. And now that you have had all of these experiences, including this one, but this is just uh, another one in a series of experiences you've had where you learn to cry yourself and learn to sit with uncomfortable feelings and learn to be comfortable in discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you learn to be discomfortable. You're, you're able to do that uh, with other people now. Um, and you have to have it as your own experience first. If you don't, your nervous system will act like that's your problem that you have to avoid. Mm-hmm. I've seen it over and over. <laughs> it can be a, a quite difficult thing. Uh, and sometimes I have to like think about it if I'm going to do trauma mapping with a group of people. Sometimes that's incredibly powerful because of this uh, social recognition of the truth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to ask certain people to either not be there or to remain absolutely silent because they see someone going into the depths and they their their response is something like oh it's it's okay but you see that's not really the right thing that's not really true and uh that's not helpful in the moment mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. we need to like honor the the truth of the threat uh, that it was true and it the, mm-hmm. these, these images have salience because they are real to you um and we don't want to jump in with the prefrontal cortex and analyze, is it actually that way? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's this, like, on a day-to-day level with my shame and with all of my emotions, really, it's exactly that process of when any emotion comes up, I'm like, this emotion is totally legitimate and needs to be accepted and embraced and felt through as fully as I can and even expressed But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to act on it or believe the messages cognitively associated with it. But it's like every emotion is a legitimate message that I want to honor. And so that's like a a new process for me. And it's, it's very connected to what you're saying. Yeah. And when you've done all of this cleaning up of the, the distortions, you're not done feeling. And that's a beautiful thing because your feelings do relate to what's happening around you and do give you a lot of important information about like, am I in the right place? Am I connected to the right people? Am I doing the right thing? Um, even on some level, there's like a, a positive sense of shame or what you could call shame, which is I did something that I don't think aligns with who I am. Exactly. And that's great. That's really, <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. That's a capacity that allows us to grow. 
Um, and as long as you don't fall into, or you've cleaned up these, I am the wrong way. This sort of like, that's a, that's a shame with no answer. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm made the wrong way. I'm not, I don't belong. I, I have to hide myself. Uh, I'm not legitimate, whatever the, whatever the way you want to phrase it is. That's a, that's a message that says, I need to disconnect from the world and hide myself away and pretend I'm someone else and all of that. Mm -hmm. That's horrible and ruins your life. And once you clear that out, uh, what you're left with is like, oh, um, yeah, looking at that interaction I had yesterday, I could have phrased things in a better way. I'm going to be a little more conscious of what words I choose when I talk to that person next time. Mm-hmm. And you just, mm-hmm. you know, you're choosing to choosing how you're going to grow. Uh, and if you're afraid to look at that because you're so caught up in this really destructive and toxic form of shame of like, I am the wrong way, which is almost unbearable to look at. And so if, if that's mixed up with it, you really are going to have a hard time growing. You're going to have a hard time reflecting on the interactions you're having and seeing them in a light that says like, oh, that's not me. That's not who I want to be or who I am. I'm going to change myself. I'm going to change the way that I interact. I'm going to change the way that I might change my job, change my whatever. Uh, you, you need to clean up this old mess to be able to tell the difference and to be able to just mm-hmm. like really respond and grow with your environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and sometimes shame comes up that is like, I, I, I'm like, yeah, thanks, Shane. I get it. You, We have this expectation and it wasn't met. So you got to come and tell me that. But um, actually, I'm not going to change a thing. Mm. And if I am, and that is very empowering as well when I choose. And if I'm caught up in, oh, I'm bad, it's extraordinarily hard to stand up to that shame and say, actually, I'm not going to change a thing. I did just what I wanted. That's, that's, so it's like, it's disempowering in both ways. It's disempowering when you need to take responsibility and say, yeah, I, I want to learn from this. And it's disempowering when you want to have the self-trust and empowerment to say, no, this is the right action right now. So uh, I, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting that. So I feel like, uh, I hope that our listeners <laughs> are enrolled in your trauma mapping work. And I'm wondering, where can they find more about you? Where can they connect with you? Is this something that other people can do? I'd love to uh, wrap it up with some some ways that people can connect with you in your work. Sure, thanks, yeah. Um, I'm available to do individual sessions with anyone uh, who feels like they want to go down this road. Um, I'm also available to help teach people how to do this and a lot of other things. Um, if you want to know more about that, you can go to social-arts.org. Um, in any case, I'm happy to get in contact through email uh, or other social media. You can also reach me on Twitter at Craythan, so C-R-A-Y-T-H-A-N. Yeah, so reach out if you have any, any questions or you'd like to work together. Um, I'm available through those channels. Cool. And I will put those links in the show notes for anyone who's interested. And um, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for introducing me to trauma mapping. It's It's been like a really 
transformative. It's been it's it's been huge, really. I was reborn. Like <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but thank you so much, AJ. That means a lot to me. Um, I really have enjoyed your podcast for a while, and uh, and I look forward to to hearing what you do in the future. So thanks for having me on.